Amen. Thank you. It's on. All right. Always make sure it's plugged in before you declare it broken, right? <laughs> Have you ever made that mistake? Oh, no, it doesn't work. Oh, wait. Yeah, it works. Done that. I get confused. I get confused by advertisements. I see marquees and billboards, and it just makes me scratch my head. I saw an ice cream store sign once advertising their new salad. Salad? I mean, when I go to an ice cream store, (laughs) salad's not why I go. I go for the ice cream, no matter what else they may be serving. I saw a hamburger at a restaurant advertising its hot dogs, and I had to chuckle. I don't go to Burger Joy for a hot dog. I go for a burger. Wings? Let's go to the pizza place. Chicken strips. Got to hit the pancake joint. Meatloaf? A chicken restaurant, of course. Come on, man, mix it up. (laughs) Now, some stores are known for selling a wide variety of things like Walmart, but a lot of places are known for a specialty. And it's funny and confusing to me that specialty stores would spend money in advertising about a product that isn't their specialty. Come try something we're not so good at. Come get something that's not our thing. I don't know. Maybe there's a good time to use this kind of advertising, but I don't know what it is. It almost sounds like they're afraid that their specialty won't be good enough, or maybe they've forgotten who they are. A church in Tulsa has on its sign, all you need is love and tacos. <laughs> okay. Now, I love tacos but that's not what I look for in a church. Who are they trying to woo by their advertising? Whose patronage are they seeking? Have they perhaps forgotten who they are? And don't forget that our enemy, the accuser, is the father of counterfeits and cheap imitations. He doesn't want us to remember who we really are. Any fans of Honey Nut Cheerios? I used to be. But then, I tried plain Cheerios with real honey and chopped almonds. I am never going back. Telling you right now. (laughs) Because the stuff that's flavored like honey and nuts isn't as good as real honey and nuts. I see some strange flavorings out there. Fruit-flavored things don't ever taste as good as fresh fruit to me because I've had the real thing. It's like whiskey-flavored ice cream. I'm going... (laughs) If I want whiskey, ice cream ain't going to cut it. And if I want ice cream, I don't want whiskey. I don't know. Maybe I'm just a purist. Ever had a homemade dessert and then looked at the cheap cookies in the grocery store? It's hard to want those after a good homemade dessert, isn't it? Ever been out in a real wilderness? It's hard not to be restless in a chain-link enclosed space after that. 
C.S. Lewis is right. We are satisfied by the things of this life far too easily and too quickly. We settle for far too little too soon. We forget what the real thing is like. <laughs> well, it says it's on. There we go. Now, our Savior is the real thing. He's the most real thing ever. He's the only one who can fill a human heart, a human life. Our enemy desperately wants us to get hooked on, used to, and settling for anything less than Jesus himself. Our accuser would rather us focus on the music or the decor or the people or the minor doctrines at church, anything but God. Our enemy knows that if we build our lives on anything less, those lives will collapse in the storms of life. Jesus must be our rock, our foundation, our cornerstone. Nothing less will do. No one less than God himself is sufficient for our situation, for our needs, for our destiny. We were made to be like him. Who else could possibly be enough for our minds, for our hearts, for our troubles, but the one who made us and loves us so deeply? Come on now. (laughs) Can you guys go to the next slide? You and I are going to have a talk after this is over. So, what's our go-to focus at the body of Christ? If you read church marquees, you might get very confused. I've seen many touting open minds and open hearts. U.S. branches of many denominations have all welcomed very deviant ideas into their leadership. There are some charismatic non-denominational churches that have welcomed some strange ideas into their worship. All of these unorthodox ideas have caused changes in attendance. So apparently what you focus on affects who joins you. So what are we focused on? You can't please everyone. We have to choose what we will accept and what we will refuse. We cannot be everything all the time or accept everything from everyone. You have to choose your enemies and choose your allies. Because battle and conflict are inevitable. You cannot serve God and. Retreat is impossible. Arm yourselves, church. Identity is a violent competition. So if we can't please everyone, if we are not a do-whatever kind of church, if we should be reminding ourselves in the watching world what it is that we stand for, what is it? Every Sunday we proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. The body and the blood and all that goes with it, especially the resurrection, should be one of the things we are known for. We've been bought with a price, the price of the blood of our Savior, who took the wrath of the Holy God and came back to life so that we could belong to him again, free from fear and death. The fact that we need a Savior and that our loving Father sent his Son to be that Savior to rescue us and conquer death, should be front and center in our theology. 
Without that, we're not Christians. Every Sunday we preach the Word. Our trust in the Word of God as a standard for other sources of truth is something we should be known for. There are some doctrines we don't accept because they don't line up with Scripture. There are some sources we don't trust. There are some times we make mistakes. We accept what God says in His Word, no matter how it affects us or what it requires of us. Every Sunday... We sing praise to our God. We sing truth from his word. We sing joy and peace and sorrow and triumph because of what God did and because of who he is. There are some songs we don't sing. Our song's messages line up with God's word and why he died on the cross. So this is a direct growth out of our first two priorities. Every Sunday here I see old friends and new friends in joyful fellowship before, during, and after the service. Dad, it's time to go. Quit talking to people. (laughs) It happens. (laughs) Now, that community that we have is unique. That's a strength. That undergirds us when issues threaten to split us, such as masks, vaccines, and the like. Keeping the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace is right out of God's Word. So this also grows from our first two priorities. Without each other, we are vulnerable, prone to selfishness, less adventurous, and not very friendly. Our witness would not be at its best. I sound like Tevia from Fiddler on the Roof. And among ourselves, we always get along perfectly. (laughs) Of course, there was the time. (laughs) We also, in this congregation have a strong focus on the support of missionaries right out of our congregation. We promote missions and we keep in mind the persecuted church throughout the world. Now, if we only thought of our local congregation or our local neighborhood, we might get very comfortable. We might still be Christians, but we might be very unfruitful, ignorant, and distracted. We also hold to the New Testament model of church authority. Found in the churches outside Jerusalem, promoted by Paul, wherever he planted a church, and encouraged in his letters to Titus and Timothy, and actually found in the Jerusalem church later. That is, a council of elders, men who have proven to be true, God-fearing family men with some skill at explaining, teaching, and presenting the gospel. None of them is elevated above the others in authority, and they are held responsible by God for the health, safety, and growth of their local congregation. If you haven't visited other churches recently, this is not the model used by the majority in the USA. Although many are becoming more interested in it as an alternative to the general and staff lead pastor model that has been the standard for decades. (coughs) We have an opportunity to engage the interest of others any time pastors or churches come up. This isn't ice cream store salad we're talking about here. This is a big deal. Church authority and leadership matters to God and to Christians. Don't be shy about your leadership. You know what? I'm going to try something. 
Shazam. I'm that good. Okay. <laughs> you didn't know how entertaining this was going to be, did you? Now, along with interest in our authority structure, you may find more and more people these days asking, why aren't women a part of your authority? How should we answer that? Before we do, consider that they may likely also be curious about our church's stance on sexuality. So many churches and Christian organizations have decided to admit women and homosexuals to authority that would probably be a surprise to your audience when you tell them your church does things differently. We subscribe to a different view of identities. Why do we do them differently? Well, back to our first priorities. We follow God and his word. Paul lays out the qualifications for church authority in Titus and in Timothy. And while women are given greater freedom and value in Christianity than in any other religion or worldview, church authority is not given to them. Remember the leprosy on Miriam when she and Aaron rebelled against Moses. In 1 Timothy, 1 Corinthians, and Romans, God lists groups of sins, and while homosexuality is not given special attention any more than any of the others in the list, it is found in these multiple lists of behaviors God will not accept. Remember Sodom and Gomorrah. Now I know that in our very broken world, Men's and women's roles are not as clear as they once were. I know that many such roles are taken on out of necessity because someone else is not there to fill them, or by default because they are not expected or trained to do differently. But the exceptions prove the rule. God's truth is not easy, but it is clear and plain. The lies of our enemy are much easier to accept, but they are also confusing and always full of unanticipated suffering. Remember that he's the father of lies, counterfeits, and cheap imitations. So let's put out front what we already focus on. Let's be who God calls us to be. Let's be clear and plain so that we know what we believe and why we believe it and so that we can clearly articulate to a world with questions and confusion. Let's speak with confidence and boldness that will surprise some people, and it will please our Lord. Our world says confused and conflicting things about us. Some accuse us of bigotry, hypocrisy, hate crimes, and raining on parades. Sometimes we've been guilty of it. Others honor our sacrifice, our kindness, and our endurance that brings stability to communities. We do that too. Some condemn our conservatism, while others celebrate our liberalism, and vice versa. Talk about confusing. In this country and in others, who we are as Christ followers is not always clear. So what does God say? about our identity. 350 plus times in the Bible, God refers to my people. That's important, I think. God cares about what belongs to him. My people. I care about the people that belong to me. 
They matter more to me than just random people. I have a connection with them. I love them. I'm willing to sacrifice for them. In Isaiah 65, 22, he calls his people my chosen ones and my chosen people in Isaiah 43, 20. Second Chronicles 7, 14 and Daniel 9, 19, my people called by my name. When I married my wife, she changed her name. Now she is called by my name. And that matters to me. There are a lot of women in the world, but she's the only one called by my name. She's special. That's the flavor here. My people, called by my name. The word elect is used five times in Romans. In both epistles to Timothy, all three synoptic gospels, Titus, 1 Thessalonians, 2 Peter, and twice in 2 John. The word precious from Isaiah 43.4 and Lamentations 4.2. My sheep, my flock, from Jeremiah twice, Ezekiel chapter 34 mentions it four times, and then twice in John, especially in John chapter 10, all about my sheep hear my voice, they won't follow a stranger, I lay down my life for the sheep, all of that. That's us. That's who God says we are. We belong to him. That means we're not alone. It means we're not ignored. It means that we represent him. We'll get to some more of that in a minute. The Bible calls us faithful ones in 1 Samuel 2, several places in the Psalms and in Revelation. Righteous ones, multiple times in the Psalms. Lest we become proud, we are also called helpless, several times in the Psalms as well as Romans, and poor and needy from 1 Samuel, the Psalms, and Isaiah. And they're all true. Our righteousness, not from ourselves, but from Christ. Our helplessness, our poor and neediness from our human nature, from our sin. God sees us for who we really are. He's not confused. He's not fooled. He doesn't buy all the stuff that gets said about us. He knows. As Jesus said in all of the letters to the churches in Revelation, he said, I know your struggles. I know where you live. I know what you're up against. He knows. He sees better than we do who we are. Sometimes when you decide to go inside yourself and look around, uh, I... I, have this picture that I am happy to be reminded of that it's when I'm asking God about what's inside of me it's like I'm blindfolded in a room with furniture and I'm holding his hand and I'm trying to lead him around how much sense does that make 
first thing I'm going to do is stumble over something. And while he's sitting back there going, wait, wait, let me lead. I'll lead you through. You won't hit a thing, I promise. He knows. We are called the church and churches. I can't even remember how many times in Acts. Nearly all the epistles use this term, and especially in Ephesians and Revelation multiple times. The church, that means something. That title has a particular meaning. We're called the body of Christ throughout the New Testament and the bride of Christ in several places. And it's no accident that when marriage is spoken of and how Christian men and Christian women are supposed to behave towards each other in marriage, that it says the husband is to love his wife as his own what? Body. Men, do we ignore stuff in our bodies? If we get a stubbed toe, do we just, eh. Most of the men I know, when they get a stubbed toe, tell the world about it in certain ways. When we get a hangnail or a sore tooth or we scrape our knee, especially if it's an inanimate object that's to blame. We don't take that line down. Something's got to be done. That's it. I'm moving that thing. I'm getting it out. It's not going to be here anymore because it keeps hurting my body. That is how Jesus feels about us. We are his body. He cares for us even better than we pay attention to our own bodies. Ah, oh, is that a pimple? Ah, oh, why won't that hair ever stay down? We get so irritated by the smallest things. We're paying attention. Guess what? God knows how many hairs are on your head. Who's paying more attention to you? The bride of Christ. Now we're getting really serious. You ever been to a wedding? And I think most of you have been to many. What's on the groom's mind pretty much the whole time? The bride, right? He's been thinking about her a lot for a while. And now she's finally his. Finally. It's taken a lot of work to get here. A lot of sacrifice. A lot of paperwork. A lot of conversations. Some of them uncomfortable. Yes, I would like to marry your daughter. But that groom is so focused that day. He's got one job. Show up. Say the vow. Put the ring on. Marry the girl. It's all he's thinking about. 
Our God is more focused on us than a groom on his bride. Wow. That's really focused. Make no mistake, our God cares about us a lot, more than we can know. And he wants us to share that with other people. Look at the other titles that are given to us. Ministers, ambassadors, messengers, witnesses, light, shining, salt. Those are cool. I heard somebody recently say, salt is supposed to make you thirsty. We're supposed to make the world thirsty for living water. That's why we're salt. Also, it doesn't take much salt for you to taste the effects of salt, does it? We don't put spoonfuls of salt on things, right? Maybe a little shake, maybe a couple. That's all it takes. That's what we're supposed to be like. Throw a few Christians in there and, oh, things are going to change. That's us. Because it isn't just us, is it? There's a Holy Spirit in each of you and inside of me that has plans, that has power, brings conviction. Even if you don't say anything, you ever had that happen? Ever had somebody come up to you and apologize for something that you maybe didn't even notice they were doing? Salt. And light. You come into a dark room, you light one match, and it changes everything. You start lighting candles around the room, and it changes it even more. You go and flip that switch on the wall, and C.S. Lewis said, I believe in Christianity, not just because I, I mean, like, like the sun, not just because I can see it, but because by it, I can see everything else. That light of truth, we all have it. The world needs it. So now that we've refreshed our priorities, a little bit of identity, let's take it one step further. How about a to-don't list? A list of what we don't stand for and who we aren't. Let's be very clear. Whoops. We don't hide from our culture, but we don't follow it. We practice standards of godliness and holiness in what we watch, what we listen to, what we attend, what we purchase, what we do, what we wear, what we say, just as the early church did. We don't look for ease and comfort in our lifestyles. Okay, we probably do. I'm guilty of that. But our Savior calls us to die to ourselves 
to be ready to sacrifice. The New Testament writers exhort us to be generous, ready for good works. We're called to put others ahead of ourselves. We don't apologize for what we believe, but we don't pick fights with others who have different opinions, not even on social media, I hope. (laughs) We are called not to quarrel, but to gently, patiently instruct and witness to the truth, to seek to rescue those deceived rather than seek to punish them. We don't look for reasons to pick apart other congregations who have doctrinal differences and minor things. We're all in this together, church. We need each other. And as we face increasing persecution, we tend to become less picky that way. We seek to support other congregations and denominations and the godly works that they do, even if we don't see eye to eye about everything. We don't even see eye to eye about everything here, do we? We don't, however, go along with denominations who behave and believe contrary to the Bible. We dare not choose them over God. So, now that everyone is straight about everything, (laughs) you ever feel like that sometimes? You're like, I am so tired of nobody knowing what's going on. Just stand back a minute. There. Now do you get it? (laughs) Sometimes we need that, don't we? Sometimes we need those reminders for God to say, hey. Right. Sorry, I forgot. Because we leak. Our brains leak. There is security in certainty. God's character is the most consistent, most certain, most reliable thing anywhere. Now, his actions are not always predictable. We don't always know the how, but we always know the who. It's one of the reasons we gather together every week. Celebrate the certainty of the character of God. He doesn't change. He doesn't get moody. He doesn't lose focus. He doesn't let his mind wander. He doesn't give up. He doesn't get tired. He doesn't get bored or get fed up or get worn out or get intimidated. I do. So I need a God like that. I need a God who can do whatever, whenever. A God no one can stop. I have found him here. I hope you have too. I hate confusion. It's probably one of the reasons I became a teacher. So all those signs that advertise something unexpected, something other than the main idea, something less important, are confusing to me. Because when you have a God like we have, why would you bother advertising anything else? Come see our new carpet? Nah. How about our flag bangers? Our new ramp? It's not what we stand for. Let's stay focused on the most important things. The real deal that we have found. 
and let's hold lightly to the rest. We're not called to do everything or be everything acceptable, so let's do the few things God has called us to do. Let's be faithful with our talents and do all we can with them so that we are known for who we really are, for who God has called us to be. And let's celebrate the godliness in others, for the body needs all its parts. I'm very glad to be in this part of the body of Christ. I'm glad God calls us his own so we know whose we are. Let's go let our light shine. Our confused world, hooked on cheap imitations, needs the light we have.